0: One, two, three, I was doing something wrong. Hey, today we're going to talk about Trinity. Trinity is a bit complex of an idea, and especially in a world where we live in, we, we live in a very, very diverse culture and diverse environment. And at times, when we talk about Trinity, as Christians, if, we don't, if we're not able to explain it clearly, we could easily be defeated because logically it doesn't make sense. How could three be one, and how could one be three? That's not a shampoo. Have you seen those shampoos? They're like three-in-one shampoos. They don't work for me, by the way. I only need one. I don't need the other two. Uh, It's been like eight, nine years since those things work. So trying to explain God, oh, no, 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 God is three, but then he's one, but he's one, but then he's three. It kind of leaves you at a place where you're like, maybe I don't want to talk about it. Maybe I don't want to address it. But also, if you look into other world religions like Islam, in Islam, which is the main concept of its argument is, the Christian faith is a false faith because it has three gods. Surah Al-Aim in verse 47 in Quran, it actually specifically aligns this concept. It says the Christian faith is false, flat out. It cannot have three gods. God can only be one. Then all of a sudden, logically, that makes sense. So we, we, we can lean to agree with such idea. Today, we're going to look into this main concept of why we believe in Trinity and why it is important for us to confess it. First and foremost for us, why it is really, really important to talk about Trinity and to actually understand it is because we were baptized into this name. You cannot have a name that you don't understand. You cannot carry a heritage that you don't even believe or understand. So the name that we carry, the name that is supposed to make us Christians, the name that will take us to the place of hope and the place of eternal peace, that name is the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And each one of you, we're walking in through these waters of baptism in this particular name. Knowing this name and why it is three in one, it is crucial to our confession and into our faith. According Matthew 28 verse 19, the scripture, it tells us that Jesus commanded his disciples All of us, by the way, that's why as a church we baptize people because we were commanded by Christ our Lord, our King. Go therefore, he says, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And every Sunday we do begin our worship in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Trinity is the foundation of our faith and it is the foundation of our worship. Not addressing it, not talking about it or say. I don't want to address it, or I don't want to talk about it, is you saying, I don't want to talk about my foundation, and I don't want to talk about my beginning. And that is lame. You can't live life without addressing your foundation, without addressing who you are and where you come from. And then, the, actually, the scripture does tell us the Father, the Father gives us this amazing spirit that enters inside of us, and he actually encourages us to pray to God by saying, Abba, Abba. The Spirit of God is what leads us to the Father. It leads us to pray to the Father. It leads us to call him Abba, Father. It gives us the confidence that we usually don't have to say the King of the universe is our Father. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith. It separates truth from error, orthodoxy, from heresy. So it is, it is important for us to address it and to note. Trinity is important to know who God really is, and we must think of God just the way he reveals to us, not as we think he is. So that's, this is why it is really, really important to talk about Trinity because our tendency is like we want to create our own God. We want to make him the way we understand him, but then you can't do that. <laughs> we can't do that. That would be, that'd be crazy. How can you put your God that you want in the way you want to understand him? That's, that's, that, that puts God, not God, actually a creation, right? And that's our tendency. We want to understand the world the way we want to understand the world. We want to see God the way we want to see God. We don't want to see God the way God sees God. And that's weird. But that's what we do because we are lazy and we do not want to be bothered with this complex thinking. So we're like, I'm not going to think about this. I'm just going to imagine God the way I wanted it to be God. So in Islam, the Muslims would say, that's it. This is too crazy, too insane. God is one. I'm not going to believe it the way he describes himself. So think of it like this. I'm your pastor, and me being your pastor, there's pros to it, and there's cons to it, I'm sure, right? One of your pastors being, his name is Dawid, he came from this country, he is what this is he is, and this is what he does, and this is what he's good at, and he, this is what he's not, he's bad. he's not good at. That's a good assessment of who I am by you, but if you would describe me the way you want to understand me, I would not be happy, and you would be lying, right? because that's not who I am. You should describe me the way I am. He doesn't have hair, I don't have hair. So that's accurate. But if you're trying to bring somebody to church and you say, oh, the other Pastor Josh, he got hair. The other one, he got hair too. They both have hair, that would be a lie. That's not accurate and we would not be happy and then you would not be truthful. The way we talk about our God is not based on how we want to understand him, it's based on how he describes himself regardless how hard it is so our God is a God of love first John chapter 4 verse 7 tells us if God is love who has God loving before he created men so this is the obvious question if God is love from his nature his essence think about it if God is love and his whole entire essence is love who was he loving before we were created right God was not like, when you were created, when Adam and Eve were created, he felt something and he's like, what is this feeling? And he's like, ooh, this is love. No, that's not the truth. Love precedes life. Only in Christianity, by the way, in Islam, in Buddhism, Shintoism, any faith in the world, love does not precede life. In Christianity, love precedes life. Love was there before we were created. God did not start feeling love because we were created. He is three in one. He already expressed love to himself and with one another, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There was a communication before we were created because God, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit communicated to each other. Communication and love did not come when we showed up to this earth. It came in a perfect sense. When God exists from the beginning. So the big question that comes to us is, then how do we even explain the idea of three God in one? I know it may sound a very contradicting idea, but to be frank, it's not that contradicting. Think of it this way. God is one being, three persons. Two different things. I am one being and one person. So let me ask you, what kind of being am I? Well, thanks for the confidence, by the way. What, I am human being, by the way. One being, I am human being. So you and I, are we share the same essence as human beings. But who I am, I am a person and my name is Dawid. And I don't share that with you. No one is Dawit in the world besides me. Not the name particular, but this me, the person that I am, I am the only one in on this earth. That's why we have fingerprints that we travel anywhere in the world. And people will know you as you because you as a person, you are unique. But as a being, we are one being. We all human beings. So God is one being, but three persons. So being is... which makes who you are, and a person is whose you are. A being is what you are, forgive me, a being is what you are, a person is who you are. So FK is a human being, but then if you ask who he is, that's with how he could do's. he lives in this particular place, and this is what he does. So. God is one God. He's one being. But He's three persons. What I am is a human being, and who I am is Dawid. Hey, in order for this for us to remember this, do you mind? Do you mind just think of this and then take about a second? And then the next sentence don't don't respond to just say it silently. I'll say, who I am is a human being. And you will say, who I am is, then whatever your name is. Right? What I am is a human being. And who I am is, that's Joe. That's it. So who God is, Godhead, is that's his being. But he is three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The same way. We all are human beings, yet we are three different persons. The only difference is this. We are one being and one person, but God is one being and three person. Is there anything like this on earth? No. But that doesn't stop God from being one being and three persons. Right? There are enough evidences There is enough evidence that God exists. There's enough and overwhelming evidence that God exists because of all the existence of his creation. But how much we know about this God who created this earth can only depend on what he reveals for us in the Scripture. And God reveals to us who he is and also what he is. So our God is three persons, and what is he? He's one God, he's one being. Trinity teaches us who our God and what our God is. God is three in one. So what does it mean for Jesus to say, the Son of God is lesser than the Father? So by the way, if you talk about this with anybody who's not a Christian but arguing a Christian faith, Every person, I guarantee you, if they argue with you about the Christian faith, they will quote a a, a scripture in John when Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. And they'll say, you see how stupid Trinity is? How could Jesus say the Father is greater than myself? But that's not even as crazy as we think it is. Think about it. I'll just give an example. Janine is in the back. By the way, fun fact, Janine has led a Bible study in our church for 20 years plus. She has an extensive knowledge of the scripture, extensive knowledge of ministry to people. So as your pastor or as a friend to all of you, if I say, hey, we're all human beings, but in wisdom and life experience, Janine is greater than myself. Does that make me inferior to Janine? No, it's just a fact. The way the hierarchy or expectation of wisdom are set up are, Janine is wiser than myself. And Silas can say, Dawit is older than myself. It doesn't make him inferior to me. I'm just old and he's young. The way God, Jesus was addressing this fact was, he's saying, I and the father are one, but he is greater than I. He is stating his nature as God and as one God. But he's stating the order of the Trinity. And we do this every single day. So, wait, by the way, I feel like I'm just shouting by myself. Am I going crazy or like it makes sense what we're talking about? A little bit? A little bit. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> our triune God, it is not a contradicting concept. That's the main line before we kind of go to the conclusion of this sermon. Our triune God, it's not a contradicting concept. He's one being in three persons. You and I are one being in one person. And Jesus, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, the way they rank and they put themselves above each other, it's a normal thing we all do, but it does not change the fact that they are God. He is God, and he is one God. But the main question usually that comes in across is, but here's the deal. Trinity is not in the Bible, right? We all know this, right, by now? The word Trinity, it does not exist in the Bible. And then people will say, no, this is a New Testament thing. The Bible never really talked about this in the Old Testament. And that is actually wrong. And I'll give you examples and we'll go to the end of this. The very first verse in the scripture in Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, God, it shows that God shows unity and plurality for the sake of my accent pronunciation on this one. That's hard. He says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. In the Hebrew concept of this, it reads like this. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and earth. Elohim is a most common name for God. Fun fact. By the way, write this down and you can throw it at anybody. The word Elohim is used 2,300 times in the Bible. Elohim, Elohim. It's throughout the scripture. The word Elohim, it describes a pooler God. It means gods. But then it says... Elohim, God's created, and it shows singularity and polarity at the same time. And in other parts of the scripture, it actually t- tells us, the scripture says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Then the Lord God says, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. So this is a scripture. This is like, by the way, the first chapter of the Bible, the first, second, third chapter of the Bible in Genesis. It says that our God, is he speaks about himself in a polar sense, but then it also shows that he is a one God. In the the Jew tradition, by the way, if you were a Jew and you lived in Israel, and if you were trained very well by your parents to grow up to be a good Jew, Here's how you would start your day and end your day. By saying, Shema Israel Adonai Elohini Adonai Echid. By the way, don't be impressed. This is, sounds like Tigrinya. So, the fact that I can pronounce it pretty well. is pretty common to my language. So the word Shema, if anybody speaks fluent Tigrinya here, Saro and Mehratab in the back. Shema means, in Tigrinya, it's called Shema. We got like listen. It says listen. The Lord your God is one. That's how they start their day. They'll say, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echid. It means your Lord your God is one God. But listen to the word. O Israel, O God, the Lord is one. It's very profound, but the word Echid is used to describe one, right? But in the, in the, in the Hebrew context, the word Echid describes like a, a cluster of grapes. Have you seen a grape, like a cluster of it? If somebody gives you, I give you grape, like a whole thing, right? You don't be like, oh, he gave, Dawid gave me 2,656 grapes. No, it's a cluster of grape. You'd be like, hey, Dawid gave me a grape. That's the word echid is in Hebrew. So, in the New Testament, in the Shema of the Israel Judaism faith, And in the New Testament, it proves to us that our God is one God, your Lord is one God. But he's three persons. He's one being, three persons. And you and I are one being and one person. There's no one on earth beside our God who could be one being and then multiple persons. You and I are creation and created and we're not creators. For that, we are not. One. We're not three persons or five persons or seven persons or eight persons and one person. No, that's not who we are. We are human beings and each of us are one person. And a simple evidence is our fingerprint. We're all different, but then we share the same common being. Even in our constitution and bylaw, though America failed to accomplish it 100%, in our constitution and bylaw in the nation, we say, that all men are created equal, in what? In being, but in reality, Silas has, maybe he could be taller, I may be shorter. Jerry is slimmer, and I'm not, right? We all are different, and we bring different tactics. Some of you are good in math, and some of you, you cannot even multiply 12 times 12. Oh, I see some of you smiling right now. You're like, 166? (laughs) That's our address, by the way. <laughs> right? We're all different, but we're all one being. And our God is one being in three persons. So, why, why the heck is this necessary? We'll end with this. Here's, here's a critical thing you got to notice. The greatest philosophical research in the whole entire world and in the history of humanity was to actually find unity and diversity. Have you heard the word University, do you know what that comes from? Unity in diversity. In many, many, many concepts in life, we really, really want to accomplish unity and diversity. The greatest Greek philosophers, their greatest research was how to find unity in diversity. Um, Eplormous unum, did I pronounce it right, Pastor Josh? Pastor Josh is pretty good at Latin. If anybody speaks Latin, please speak to him outside. Uh, hey, don't worry about it. Nobody speaks Latin, so we go. Um, out of many one, it's an American statement that is written in, in the halls of Congress. The idea of even founding America from its beginning is to actually find unity and diversity. All our universities do multiple researches annually to find unity in diversity. Guess what the heck we're doing in our church here? We're trying to find unity in diversity. Look at us, turn to your left and right. I guarantee you there is at least five ethnicities here. And all of us are trying to look into a unity in our diversity. That's a deep desire in each of us. Have you talked to anybody who wants like a world peace and then they'd be like, I just wish like everybody gets along. Well, it's not, not that simple, man. You, you don't think we have thought about that? It's not that simple. But that's our deep desire. I get, like, please raise your hand if you do not want unity and diversity at all. Even if you don't, you will be battling against your own conscience. So the question is, where did that feeling come from in all the whole entire humanity? That feeling came from your creator. Your creator is God and in him, there's a perfect diversity and there's a perfect unity. In him, there's an incredible level of communication and love within him. Your God is one, but he's three persons and within him, there's a perfect love and there's perfect unity. And the desire of your heart can never be fulfilled unless you know this God. The perfect unity and the perfect community, it only exists in the Triune God. And the tree God, he sent the second person of the Trinity. He made him like you and I. He made him a human being. And he was murdered in the cross because you and I cannot attain diversity and unity. We hate people that look different than us. We have a deep feeling to hate those people who are better than us. We have a deep desire to be better than others. Every time we feel inferior, we want to take down those people who makes us feel inferior. We want to be better race than the other. As human beings, we have done so much destruction on earth by the deep desire to want to be powerful over others. And we communicate, but we communicate with a lie. We do not speak the truth. We speak lie and we speak ill about our neighbor. So the perfect God who does not speak ill about his neighbor, the perfect God who desires unity in community, he was murdered in the cross on behalf of your sins. So you can one day enjoy a perfect unity and diversity with him and the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So you are baptized into a united God and into one God's name who is three persons, who expresses enormous level of diversity and unity within him. So today, do you have so much misunderstanding between your families? Do you hate somebody in your family? Or do you feel like my family is a disaster? Have you experienced divorce in marriage? Have you ever been abandoned by your own children? Have you ever been betrayed by your own best friends? Have you been experiencing a life of loneliness because people abandon you? Have you experienced a situation at work where people were trying to take you down? All of this imperfection of this world will end one day. And God will unite you with himself forevermore. So what we see today here as Christians is a tiny reflection of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Today, the fact that we are one church, we are one body, we drink the same blood, we eat the same bread, we've been baptized into the same name, you and I are united despite of our brokenness with the tiny reflection that your Savior will unite you with the Father in person one day. And we are waiting for that city. We are waiting for that town when our Lord will be the bright light of our hope. We're waiting for that day to see the united God who is perfectly united and perfectly in communication with himself. We will be in that light. We will be in that presence. And there will be no more pain and no more suffering, no more betrayal, and no more heartache our god will restore all the brokenness of this world for that you are a united people of god with each other but also you have been united with the father through the work of jesus christ the king our lord God cannot be fully known, though. I want to end with this. God cannot be fully known by you and I unless the unknowable God be known and the invisible seen and the incomprehensible understanding. If you can understand God 100%, he's not God. If he's the God that you carve, you put him in the living room, that's not God. He would be less of God for that we may not comprehend our God fully. Someone says, if you try to explain the Trinity, you will lose your mind, like I am now. But if you deny it, you will lose your soul. Explaining it is hard, but denying it is even worse. No man has seen him, the scripture says in 1 Timothy 6.16, the Lord can never be comprehended as he is. That is why Jesus came in flesh. So when you, when you feel like, I don't understand God, I just don't get God, I don't understand God, look towards the cross. Look towards the cross to the king that became flesh and dwelt among us. Look towards the cross, the God who was crucified for you. Look towards the cross, the God who called you to baptism. Look towards the cross. The comprehensible God was murdered in the cross but death cannot hold him he rose and you will too for that the band was singing on the second song the resurrected King will resurrect me the risen King will raise me the risen Lord will call me in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit one God